0: Welcome to Financial Frameworks, where our goal is to increase your financial decision making skills, helping you build on what you already know, and helping you to integrate the concepts we present with your values. Today's podcast continues my discussion of what I think are the hardest tasks and in value investing. Today, we'll talk about number two, trusting your own judgment or trusting my judgment after doing a lot of research. Previous podcasts have spent a lot of time discussing biases, how those biases affect our decisions, why saving and budgeting is hard, and a lot of time on the mechanics of investing research. Today's podcast moves beyond those topics and begins a review of common errors that occur in financial decision making, specifically with how we deal with uncertainty when we are concerned about making money and concerned about losing money, specifically within that context and thinking about those issues. Today's podcast presents findings in behavioral finance, namely how prospect theory works, that's the concept, and how understanding it can improve your decision-making process. It has certainly improved mine. There are a lot of barriers to investing in a stock, that make the process of trusting your judgment challenging. Here's a brief list of the most common that I've found, and you can apply these to what you're looking at. So let's say that you're following Peter Lynch's suggestion to investigate small company stocks because they have more room to grow and there could be a greater gain. Information about the stock may be scarce. That's often the case when it doesn't get a lot of coverage and it's a small company. That's a challenge. Secondly, what if there is negative information about the industry in which your potential investment operates, or about the direction of the economy, as in, will we have a soft landing and avoid a recession in the upcoming months? Or third, there could be news from a brokerage house that disagrees with your or my assessment of the stock we're interested in. Finally, and this is very often the case, One news source is optimistic about the market, and another is predicting doom and gloom and disaster at the same time. Because bad news sells newspapers, the imminent arrival of the four horsemen of the apocalypse and a market collapse shortly thereafter shows up in the news pretty frequently. You and I see this in the news and on the internet every day, conflicting opinions, some positive, some negative. So the question for me is when I'm at a point doing my research to find an undervalued and underpriced stock, when am I satisfied that I've got the critical information that I need and I'm making a solid choice? Here's my short answer to that question. To be confident in my decision, I need to feel that I have framed the research process, my choices about what information I've gathered and how I pose my questions, that I've done that, fairly neutrally or objectively. And also that I have countered all of my biases when I'm processing the information. And then finally that I have all of the critical information I need. So that's not too complicated. That's pretty straightforward. So the rest of this podcast will outline the high points of prospect theory, including common judgment errors that make it hard to meet the conditions I just described. Why, prospect theory makes sense and is useful to you and me and finally some tips for using prospect theory to avoid mistakes. Prospect theory moves beyond the traditional models of economics that describes human beings and markets as being rational all the time. That's an assumption in in almost all economic models. Prospect theory describes how we emotionally deal with risk, uncertainty and what we think is likely to happen. A major finding in this research is that most people intuitively prefer to avoid a loss of money than an opportunity to achieve a gain. That's called loss aversion. They're more concerned about that. A second major point in the research is that our intuitive thinking process makes it harder to be objective and clear understanding prospect theory will not cause you or me to make perfect decisions all the time, but applying some of its insights to your and my decision-making process should help us to avoid making mistakes. And that's a good thing. Quoting Charlie Munger, he said, it is remarkable how much long-term advantage people like us have gotten by trying to be consistently not stupid instead of trying to be very intelligent. In other words, avoid mistakes. So here's some background on prospect theory for your consideration and then we'll look at loss aversion behaviors and I'll give you some tips that you can apply to your investing practice to avoid the errors. Why does prospect theory make sense and how is it useful? Prospect theory came about through the work of Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman's experiments in the 1970s demonstrating that people would choose a guaranteed reward of, say, $900 over a 90% chance for $1,000. The experiments also showed, when questioned at the same time, respondents would choose the possibility of a loss, say a 90% chance of a $1,000 loss, over a guaranteed loss of $900. Both of those choices demonstrate an aversion to loss. I'll take the guaranteed $900, but I'll take a chance on losing the $1,000 rather than the guaranteed loss of $900. With about 10 years of experiments under their belts, Kahneman and Tversky developed a framework for these types of decisions, gain and loss, assigning intuitive, associative, and quick analysis to one part of the brain that would make the decision quickly, called System 1, and a more complicated, logical, calculated thinking was called System Two. If the respondent worked through the math of the problem, how do these two brain parts work? Simple example: a uh, two times two calculation can be done by System One. It's quick. You've done a hundred thousand times. If you were asked to calculate twenty-five times seventeen, that would be done by your System Two brain. You'd have to stop and think about that. You'd have to do some work. I mention this so that you know that the research that Tversky and Kahneman did was extensive and covered a lot of ground, and they looked for ways to explain the experimental results and a wide range of related behaviors, which leads us to my how do I trust my judgment problems when all of this is going on, and we're just focusing mostly on loss aversion today. We'll look at other things later on. Kahneman and Tversky suggested that system one is always working and system two doesn't work all the time. It's not busy all the time, but system one is always on. Two aspects of system one thinking is the need or desire to plug information or experience into a story quickly so it can make an assessment. This may happen when not all of the necessary information is in place, and so system one it's intuitive associative system, comes up with an explanation for what it sees that's not complete. And it could be wrong. Specifically, in terms of investment, this can lead to overconfidence. And we know that's a common investing problem. So I will quote Jason Voss, CFA, who is at the CFA Institute and who listened to Kahneman speak at the 65th CFA Institute Annual Conference. Quoting Mr. Voss, people are overconfident. He states that Kahneman said, how does the associative system generate feelings of confidence? The feeling of confidence corresponds to the coherence of the story that is generated by the associative system, your system one brain. In other words, the judgment and subsequent feelings of confidence are a response to the quality of the story, does it stick together, and not to the quantity of data contained in the story. This combination of factors, confidence in the presence of data, to the contrary, leads to overconfidence. Kahneman said day traders churn because they tell themselves coherent stories. But even Fortune 500 CFOs tell themselves stories that are much more coherent then the facts justify. And in fact, CFOs at Fortune 500 firms are more overconfident than CFOs at smaller firms. That's the end of the quote from Mr. Voss. So let's stick with this one problem of overconfidence as we focus on how to trust one's judgment correctly. Let's also assume that overconfidence on your part as an investor can be an issue. And let's also assume that those around you advisors, experts, or trusted associates can be overconfident. The question is how to overcome the problem. Knowing why something is happening is nice, but solving the problem by making solid decisions and knowing when to trust yourself is what we need to do here. Here are my suggestions for improving your decisions within the context of prospect theory. Most problems, once they are acknowledged, can be solved through disciplined action. Disciplined action in the case of trusting your judgment when making an investment consists of simple things. First, pay close attention to how your research questions are framed. For example, I would not ask the question of a stock I'm looking at, are earnings going up? Instead, I ask the questions, what are the stock's earning trends and what are those trends in relation to the stock's price? That's a neutral question. It's not loaded with expectations or emotions or a story. Second, I use a multi-step data gathering process that I also use to filter biases. That process will be the focus of my next podcast because it's fairly lengthy. A third thing I do is to follow Kahneman's advice that when making decisions, slow things down make sure your System 2 brain is involved. I double-check my data, my reading of the numbers, I go back and look at secondary data sources I'm using, and so on, and I do the process methodically and not in a rushed fashion. I'll provide you with an example of slowing the process down and checking expectations. In the case of a former student who came to me for advice after our classroom time was concluded, and my course was over, but I was on the campus to teach another class. He was doing a paper for another class and he needed to demonstrate the ability to make sound financial decisions. The student was in the process of purchasing a multi-family residence to create another revenue stream for himself while continuing to work in his profession. He had no difficulty with the down payment. He planned to actively manage the property himself, as that was what he had done while working himself through college. He knew the neighborhood, and he had the skills to do the job. He brought his financial projections for this project to me, and he had used a standard discounted cash flow set of calculations, nothing out of the ordinary. The DCF calculation showed steady asset value improvement, and this was before real estate went through the roof in the metropolitan Boston area and I checked all of his assumptions. Inflation, wear and tear on the property, percentage of rental occupancy, cost of funds, availability of reserve funds and other unpleasant surprises had they been built into his thinking. After looking at his model and his data, it looked pretty reasonable to me. I didn't see anything missing and I thought his Uh, assumptions were fairly conservative. His problem, he told me, was that his advisor in this particular class was not pleased with the work because it showed an internal rate of return of around 2%, and the faculty member wanted to see 12%. Again, the student was conservative in his assumptions. He was high for his cost assumptions, and he built in uh, all sorts of problems for his revenue streams, so they were not pie in the sky. He had assigned a labor rate for himself that was accurate. So another expense, his labor, if times were tight, might not be there. So all in all, he had looked at things realistically and completely. So my point here with you, with this example, is that the advisor was overconfident in his assessment of his own powers and his ability to uh, assess an investment. And he had not accurately assessed the investment because the only measure he was applying was IRR. And we know from Buffett and Munger that you also have to look at management. The student in this case was the management and he had done his homework. It didn't matter to the advisor that the student possessed skill in screening renters or would be nearby as an active property manager to protect the quality of his asset or that he enjoyed property management and would therefore be good at it or maybe most importantly, that he had done this work before, and therefore there was very little risk. There was very little ignorance. The young man knew what he was doing. The advisor should have checked his confidence at the door before advising the student. So overconfidence is out there in abundance. It's not just within Mm -hmm. you and me. The student came to me because he was concerned that maybe the advisor was correct, and he, the student, had not done his work correctly and had missed something. So I walked the student through his assumptions and his calculations and asked him if he felt they were real and accurate. Did he see any gaps or any inaccuracies that countered his data? We made two very minor adjustments and I suggest that he do three things. First, for the purposes of the paper and his grade and his standing in the program, add a couple of acknowledgements about how important internal rate of return is and that if the project went forward, steps would be taken to improve it. Secondly, I told him to tell the advisor that he had spoken with me, and if the advisor had any questions or concerns beyond these changes, please contact me, and we would have a conversation about it. Third, I asked the student to not share this question with anyone, but to answer it for himself. Did he, the student, think that the advisor he was dealing with would own a $2 million asset throwing off a 7 to 9% annual revenue stream when the advisor retired. I asked the student that question because I thought he should have the appropriate confidence, not overconfidence, but the appropriate confidence because he had, in fact, done his homework and had done a good job. That concludes the first installment of Trusting Your Judgment and exploring prospect theory for avoiding mistakes in trusting your judgment, and I hope that you found this interesting, useful, and helpful. If you have, pass it along, recommend it to a friend, and you can always contact me at finframeworks.com. See you next time. Mike Lehan, Financial Frameworks.